oftentimes we struggle with this really negative self-talk. You know, we, we are telling ourselves that we're not good enough, that no one will want what we're creating, um, that we, you know, what's the point? There's no use. And so there's this sort of, you know, really uh, negative self-deprecating conversation going on in our heads. And, you know, one thing that you can do to tackle it is imagine your coach, imagine that inner coach, what would they say to that voice? Um, you know, that voice isn't who you are, you know? And I, and I think we, we hear this negative conversation and then we equate that, well, then that's who I am at my core. But no, your mind is separate from who you are. Your heart is separate from who you are. Your body is separate from who you are. And if you can separate that, it allows you to navigate them a, a lot better. And so if you can take a step away and say, okay, wait a second, my inner, co- inner critic right now is really going hard. What would my inner coach say, say to myself right now? And, and have that back and forth. And you'd be surprised how effective it is. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Upward Acts podcast, where we give you the tools, insights, and techniques to help you enter an upward spiral of well-being. This is season two, which means we're interviewing art therapists, creativity coaches, and artists just diving into their creative process and exploring creative development and everything that tickles my fancy. And today is no exception. On the podcast today, we have Bianca Demetrius, who you just heard on the top. She's a licensed clinical therapist and a creativity coach, so you know I had to get her on the show. She's also a wellness mentor and an advocate for helping you create the life that you want to live. And she's the creator of the Instagram handle Helping Create or Helping.Create, which is an Instagram page dedicated to sharing creativity and productivity and wellness tips and education and self-help tools and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, Bianca is located in Vancouver. British Columbia, Canada. She has an MA degree in counseling psychology, and she's been working as a clinical therapist for over 10 years. And she currently works in a private practice uh, where she offers psychotherapy and coaching and mentoring services. And she works as a creativity coach, of course. Uh, She supports anyone who wishes to enhance their creative potential, regardless of their profession, hobby, or personal project. And she draws on education and training in positive psychology, what's up, as well as the psychology of creativity, cognitive psychology, and the psychology of motivation to help creatives identify blocks and cultivate flow all this stuff i love and we got real deep into it we really got to explore a lot of these topics we talked about self-care and how different types of rest impacts our creativity uh, such as spiritual rest digital rest and sensory rest which was incredible i've never even thought of it like that before Uh, we talked about creativity systems and integrating different aspects of our creativity together we got into junk flow and how to get more deeply engaged into flow activities of course we talked about the differences and similarities between creativity coaching and therapy and we even got to explore some of our favorite myths about creativity so if any of that sounds cool to you then don't go anywhere so much for finding the time to meet with me today i'm like really excited about this particular one um this particular interview just because i've been interviewing a bunch of art therapists and a bunch of artists and i've been really excited to interview with people that are more on the creativity coaching side of things i've had a few creativity coaches on the show so far but the ones that i have had on have just been some of the most exciting so this one i've been really looking forward to i'm excited to be here thanks thanks for having me Yeah. So uh, the format of the show so far has basically been just me or you grabbing topics out of the world that we're in right now and just like diving into them. It's been really, really fun. I've like put together some structure in the past and I found like the further we have gone from that structure, the more fun the conversations have been. So I've got a couple of things that we can jump into if we need to, like little life raft situations. But I'm wondering if there's anything either in your practice or in your personal practice um, that has been like really intriguing you lately. 
But before I like dive into that, I want to know, like, <clears throat> I, I know you're working as a coach, but I'm wondering if you also have uh, any other particular mediums that you really like to use where you just like get really deep into it and express yourself, whether it's visual arts or music, or is there anything in particular that you're especially tied to? Yeah. So I, <laughs> so as a kid, like I took vocal lessons, I used to, you know, uh, paint and illustrate. Um, I took acting classes. So I used to do a lot of those things. Now I'm a full-time mom, <laughs> part-time therapist. So a lot of my creative energy goes into parenting, um, a toddler, and that takes a whole lot of creativity. I consider that a just full creative art myself. <laughs> Right. You know, and, and, and it's, and parenting has, takes a lot of creativity, not just because of, you know, the playful activities you're doing, but also it takes a lot of problem solving, uh, coming up with, you know, new solutions to tackle everyday things. So, and, and then in terms of, you know, my work, therapy is very much an art. I mean, it requires a lot of problem solving in the moment, a lot of improvisation, you're piecing together, you know, various strategies mm -hmm. to help tailor a unique approach for that person in front of you. Um, so uh, like that takes a lot of creative energy. So for me, those, it might sound strange, but I really get into flow when I'm working. That yeah. tends to be, yeah, that tends to be my thing, especially if we're tackling like anything creative related. So creative blocks, um, getting into flow, those conversations, my spirit just sort of lights up. So I love that to hear it. Be, that yeah, resonates with me a lot as well. I've been trying, sometimes I have a hard time helping people understand that my main uh, expressive medium, I suppose, is music, but I prioritize coaching and my coaching practice just as much as I've prioritized music and vice versa my whole career. And one of the main reasons is because coaching and facilitating gets me into flow just as deeply as music does. Like they're different in a lot of ways, but as far as how much they engage me and how important they are to me, like they are neck and neck. They're like right there. So I've just decided like, why would I just knock one out if they're both like holding it down so yeah. I love hearing other people see their their work is like their main expressive medium I think that a lot of people have this assumption that creativity only lives in the arts you know so it's only if I'm doing some sort of fine art or, or dance or, or or music but yeah. that's not true I mean you've got creativity in 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 sports if you're an athlete it takes a whole lot of art on the field it's just choreography right? <laughs> when it comes down to it Absolutely. My goodness. Um, you know, there's creativity in technology and gamers out there. Um, if you design like anything, any designers, web design. So, you know, for me, my flow is definitely uh, my workflow. And in, and like I said, how I show up with my family and my relationships yeah. takes a lot of creativity. As well. I bet. I love that. I love that. That's so obvious for you as well, because I was actually just having this conversation with someone earlier today. Um, someone was kind of interested in working with me um, as a coaching client, but they were really hesitant because they have children, like very young children. And they're like, I don't know if I have time to be creative because I'm spending all my time with my kids. And yeah, I was like, ugh, like I heard me inside. I was like, what? Like, that's the perfect place to do it. I was like, they can teach you so much. I love hanging out with little kids. Their creativity is just like fully unleashed. And it just helps me connect with that so much more. And I was like, I was like, that is the best place for you to connect with your creativity every day is just like how you parent is 100% an art form. Like, I will take Absolutely. anyone on it yeah. in that debate. Wow. Absolutely. And, you know, kids, they really get you to channel your inner wonder, you know, like kids are always wondering about things like, yeah. what's this? How does that work? Why does this fall when I let go of it? You know, exactly. um, and as an adult, you know, we I think we assume we have all the answers and we lose that. And creativity, you really need that sense of wonder. You really need that curiosity. And so I find being around my child, she really helps me cultivate that curiosity and wonder yeah. about the world. How old are they? She is a year and a half. Oh, that's the perfect age. She is super little. Yeah. We ones like infants and toddlers are always like so fun. I, uh, my bachelor's degree was in developmental psych. And so I focused on early childhood development and I got to work at a preschool for a while and um, wow. hanging out with toddlers. And, you know, I had the two hats on because I was working at the preschool, but I was also taking research classes and like writing up a, a thesis on childhood development. But also I just got to 
hang out with like the little kids. And for whatever reason, I was one of the only people that worked at this preschool that would like engage in the play with the kids, especially when it's like outside recess time. Um, a lot of the adults would just like stand up against the wall and like make sure nobody's eating soap or something like that. But I was like actually like having conversations with them and like engaging in the imaginative play. And it was like genuinely fun, you know, like it's obviously not the same as hanging out with someone my own age, but I was like engaged and like they would tell jokes and I would laugh. I don't know if they always knew they were jokes, but like I, I love it. And I think it's the same thing that that wonder and that curiosity just adds so much flavor to everything that I try to bring to all my own work as well. Yeah. Man. So one thing I've been trying to, help a lot of people understand. And I think you would have some like really cool insight into it just based on what we've said already. I'm wondering if there's anything in your day-to-day life right now that on the surface doesn't seem obviously creative or part of a creative process, but is actually really, really important <laughs> for what you do. So for example, right now, um, I just had this conversation earlier today. I'm actually in the music studio I work at right now, which is kind of cool because this is a stupidly expensive microphone <laughs> that I'm speaking into that I don't normally use. Um, but I, I've been doing some work as an audio engineer and there's a few other audio engineers here. And we've been talking about being more intentional about taking like 10 minute breaks just to let our ears rest and to kind of let our brains just reassess what sound actually is. We were just hearing the same thing over and over again for like an hour. And uh, we were just talking about how like during that 10 minutes, like we're still working, right? Like that's still really important for the process. And so just like sitting outside. Um, and I know for me, just like taking walks and even things like taking showers in the morning, like all that kind of stuff, I've been able to, because of that curiosity and that focus on the stuff we've been talking about, I've been able to see like, whoa, yeah. When I take a shower in the morning and just feel cleaner, it's just a little bit easier for me to get a little bit more focused when I start working. So I'm wondering if there's any of your day-to-day things where you're like, that's not like making art or coaching or something, but that's still like part of the process. You know what? I I came across something the other day and I wish I could recite it as poetically as I read it, but I <laughs> will Pretty do much. my best. But it was essentially you know, this, this idea of whenever you're tackling something, um, a task or an activity is to approach it like a chef. So if you imagine like a chef going into a kitchen before they've even started to bake, they've imagined what it is they're trying to do. Right. So in their head, they've got it all laid out. They've imagined it. They've imagined the steps, any potential roadblocks, the ingredients. And all of this is happening in a, this whole creative process is happening in yeah. their head before they've even started right, the process. <laughs> they haven't even put on the apron yet. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, to answer your question, I, I think any time you're approaching anything that you do with that chef like mentality, it's going to be uh, a creative process, you know? So, you know, imagining, so for me, my wellness, how I tackle my wellness takes a whole lot of creativity. And and the reason being is because every day we're different. Every day we shift, there's different seasons to us, right? So we don't need the same thing all of the time. And we hit roadblocks when we're trying to use the same strategies that we've been using for, you know, weeks or months or years. And why isn't this working? I used to do this all the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, it takes creativity to, to think about that. Like, well, what do I need now? This isn't working for me anymore. So um, when it comes to, yeah, how I take care of myself, it's definitely um, it takes a lot of, of creativity for sure. Um, and like I said, anytime I do anything, um, so, uh, going for a walk is definitely something I do often. I live in British Columbia here in Canada and there's mm-hmm. mountains and just really beautiful scenery everywhere. So, um, going for walks definitely helps me feel inspired, helps me feel, uh, renewed, gives me clarity, um, helps me shift gears. So kind of like what you said, right? Like when you've been doing the same thing over and over again, you start to burn out, yeah. um, so, yeah, I don't know if this is at all kind of what. Yeah, absolutely. I've been just really, really interested in creativity systems for a long time. That was one of the main things I studied when I was in graduate school because we, we were talking about flow earlier. And I insanely blessed to be able to study with Mihai Csikszentmihalyi before he retired. What? Yeah. Yes, I was in his like last 
class like his final because he he's still helping out with research um at claremont but he has retired from teaching because it's just he's been doing it for decades and so i got to take psychology of optimal experience with him and just creativity and innovation with him and foundations to positive psych and he's really his later stages of his career like beyond all of the stuff he did with flow he just got like more and more macro and i feel like a lot of people are familiar with the work he's done in flow but not a lot of people are familiar with like his later work i'm i imagine it might like bleed into culture like in a decade or two but essentially he was looking at creativity systems so like the individual gets into flow but how does the individual interact with the domain that they're in like mm-hmm. their their you know the materials that they have and the techniques and professional schools and then how does that interaction with the domain influence the field like the larger kind of like gatekeepers oh. and things like that and then he was getting into how like what gets us into flow and into a creative space is actually what perpetuates the evolution of culture itself. And like how I know it gets so, so broad. Right. And that was like the tail end of like when I was studying before I like went out into the world to be a creative coach and like to work with people. And so I've been like really interested in how we can use all of these different systems on purpose and kind of like set up all of these systems in ways that are kind of like more optimized and just more informed. And I've found one way I've been able to help people do that is I've been making all these concept maps of like how all of these different pieces interact. And one is just really fun (laughs) to like make these maps. I've been able to get into visual design, but two, it's helped me help other people understand how all these things that seem like kind of irrelevant they're actually part of this larger system and connect really deeply so that's kind of why i was asking like are there any things where it's you know it's not like oh i'm in like i'm writing or like i'm in a coaching session like i'm in the creative process it's like all this stuff before you're in flow and all this stuff after you've finished being in flow is all still a part of the process oh yeah yeah i completely agree i mean rest is productive right rest isn't um necessarily off right? You're not off. You're not necessarily, you know, downtime. You are still um, doing something and it's an active process. Rest should be active. It isn't passive. And so, you know, I, I like to challenge anyone that says, well, for me, resting is passively scrolling through my phone or passively, you know, engaging um, yeah. episodes of, of some show I like. And the reality is if you're not engaging with whatever it is that you're doing in the moment, then it's not, it's not really benefiting you. Right. So deep breathing, five minutes of that, you're engaging in it, aren't you? So it's, it's going to be an active. Oh um, yeah. This is one thing I've like, I'm still trying to grapple with myself going back to kind of how chick sent me, how I was thinking about engagement in a lot of ways. I was like really against this for a while and now I'm starting to understand what he meant. Have you heard of the term junk flow? No, talk to me about that. He, junk flow is kind of like uh, things that would get you into a state of, um, I guess the closest word would be apathy, where it's not super boring, but it's also not really challenging. Yeah. And so like, like the examples you just gave are like classic junk flow, just like yeah. scrolling through your phone or like watching TV, where it's it's engaging your attention, but not in a way that's like <clears throat> getting you into deep flow, but it's also not just like rest <laughs> and relaxation. No. And uh, he's like, yeah like just cutting it all out he's like just cut it out he's basically like you get into flow and if you don't have the energy to get into flow then just go to sleep (laughs) you you just go to bed dude like just rest and so many people and like myself included like i'm working on this because i love i there's a lot of tv shows that i appreciate and you know i i'm on reddit occasionally but yeah he's basically like if you only have a little bit of attention left and you're like pretty fatigued and just get into flow for like 10 minutes until you're exhausted and then go to bed and just use that energy really wisely. And so it's definitely, I don't have like the exact answers, but yeah, being attention, paying attention to what is junk flow and what is real rest and what is real deep engagement, I think is like a really good discernment to start to make. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important thing to remember is that our ideas, they need time to incubate, right? They need time to simmer, 
And how does that happen if you are constantly engaged in something? I mean, you're going to deplete your inner resources, right? So you need to be able to step out of that, kind of like what you said, you're resting your ears for that 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, switching gears, doing something totally different. Um, you know, when you're scrolling through your phone, your mind can still wander, can't it? Right. If you're binging 10 episodes of of your favorite show, you're still probably thinking on whatever it is that was bugging you from the day before. So it's not really effective rest, is it? Um, And I think the important thing, too, about rest is that there's different types of rest. And a lot of us assume that rest has to be physical. Right. I'm either sleeping um, or I'm sitting (laughs) or deep breathing. But there's different types of rest. Right. So there's spiritual rest. So for those you know, who are in, ta- in, in, in tune with their spirituality. So whether that's being in nature or reading scripture or journaling, there's a digital rest. So like a digital detox, like a sensory rest. Mm-hmm. So sitting in silence. Oh man, that is so powerful, especially for creatives who are just fully immersed in maybe noise. Right? I'm not going to lie. I did that um, right before this <laughs> conversation started. Oh, cool. Uh, Cause I've been in isolation booth <laughs> right now. So it's like designed to be really silent. And so I was <laughs> just sitting, just basking in like the purest silence I could find right now. Mm-hmm. And that, did you find it restful? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm recharged. I'm ready to go. Yeah. It helped you switch gears. I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is cool. I, I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying. And this is one thing I was really interested in speaking with you specifically, because I know you're trained in therapy, but you're also going into creativity coaching. And that's part of why this season of the podcast, I've been interviewing art therapists and creativity coaches, because I've been trying to explore like the, the Venn diagram of like clinical interventions and coaching interventions, because as we were discussing, I, I love the psychology of creativity and psychology sits in that like gray area of like clinical diagnosable and also just like flourishing and there's so much overlap. And so I've been really interested in kind of what theories or, you know, uh, models or like descriptive systems that you tend to use in your creativity coaching and how they overlap with your therapeutic approaches. For example, one we've been talking about that I use in with almost every creativity coaching client that I've worked with is kind of outlining those steps of the creative process. I'm trying to remember the exact researcher who coined them, but they've been around for like, I don't even know, like 80 years. And so many people have written about it where you start off with the preparation phase where you're just getting ideas and quote unquote, filling your cup, just getting inspired and having new experiences. And then you have the incubation phase where all that preparatory work sinks in. And that's, you know, where some of those breaks take place. And then the ideation phase where you realize those ideas and they they appear and then you like make them and get in the flow and all of that. And then you have the the product and then there's, you know, press or when you're, you're actually sharing the work is like a whole phase, like getting it out to someone wow. other than yourself. And so helping people recognize that each of those are really important. And a lot of the people I've worked with love a few of those phases and then have no idea that some of those other phases exist or are even relevant. So helping them see the bigger picture and connect them has been really fun. And there's a few other models like that, but I'm wondering if if you've ever used that particular, you know, creativity phases model, if there's other kind of frameworks that you really appreciate from your particular perspective. You know, for me, I think I, I, a lot of my focus tends to be on emotional, mental and environmental blocks. That seems to be the most common prevalent issues that people um, are coming to me with. And so, you know, for mental blocks, for example, the inner critic, uh, Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, perfectionism, right? These, these areas uh, very much are in the clinical world, but they very much are taking place in the creative one as well. That's exactly what I mean. It's like, yeah, they're they're so clinical, especially the way we can talk about them, like your explanatory style and that kind of stuff. Like, but also, yeah, you don't necessarily need to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or depression in order to have an inner critic that's really limiting your abilities. And so, yeah, that's where I feel like I'm skirting the line where like I'm trained in psychology and I'm trained as a coach. And, you know, I've read a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy or just like there's positive cognitive behavioral therapy. And so much of that is just 
cognitive behavior and yeah. addressing it and becoming aware of it. But I'm very clear that I'm not a therapist. And so I'm not like treating any disorders, but yeah, there's, it's so closely related. So it's cool that you, you get to do both. Like, do you ever feel like you're taking one hat off and putting one hat on or does it blur for you personally? <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a trained CBT therapist. So it's very cool that you, you know, you mentioned that. So cognitive behavioral therapy is very much how I see the world <laughs> really. Um, and positive psychology. Oh, I live and breathe positive psychology. Wow. And, 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 and here's why, you know, I think traditional psychology has focused on illness. It's focused on, you know, survival, you know, keeping us above water. Whereas positive psychology is about flourishing. You know, it's that next step. And I think there are a lot of people walking wells, shall we call them, right, who aren't necessarily struggling significantly, but but are looking for, for growth or looking for something more. So, yeah, so CBT and positive psych definitely shape um, how I, how I approach things. Um, in terms of your question, you know, how do I do what and when, um, boundaries are very important (laughs) to me. So usually when somebody is coming to me for the first time, we sort of break down, okay, what is it, what is it that you need support with? Right. Are you, you know, coming in with a very specific issue in which case there are very concrete steps that, that we can go through together. Do you need an accountability partner? Right. Do you need help? Um, articulating or expressing this idea that you're just stuck on, right? To me, that is, that is my uh, creative coaching. If somebody comes to me and says, well, I want to change parts of my personality. I want to process this emotional stuff, you know, um, then I know that, okay, then you need, you need therapy, you need clinical counseling. And I often don't confuse, um, I don't switch gears with someone and, and because it can be confusing. Uh, But I will say that creativity comes up in both worlds. So even when I'm doing my, my clinical work, um, we talk about, okay, how can we creatively, right. Um, come up with a way to keep you well, right. Or how do we creatively come up with boundaries? I mean, whatever it is that that conversation, uh, needs to be creativity definitely infuses in there. Uh, and then not to mention, uh, there, there is, I, I don't want to, um, cite or quote any research articles, but there definitely is a correlation between mental illness and artistic expression. And so it's quite common that I have uh, creatives that are coming to me because they are carrying some emotional stuff that they need to work through that really is impacting their their creative work. Mm -hmm. So that, um, you know, for you, it might sound like splitting hairs, but for me, it's very clear. (laughs) Absolutely. I, cause I have to do the same thing. The Mm. first time I'm working with any client becoming really clear about what it is they want to work on and what their goals are and how I can actually help with that. Uh, because I'm not a therapist and I make that really clear. So it sounds, what I'm hearing is, you know, when you first start working with someone, you split those hairs, if you will, you delineate like what their goals are. And then for me, it's like, okay, your goals fall squarely into creativity coaching. Let's do this. Or your goals are leaning more towards therapy. I can refer you to some people. Whereas you're like, your goals lean more towards therapy. Let me put my therapist hat on and just go down that hole. That's awesome. That is, that's how I imagined it, but it's really cool hearing it in your own words as well. Cause that that makes, yeah. How else would you do it? (laughs) That's exactly. So I've, uh, really been interested both for myself and because I know a lot of other coaches are kind of listening to these conversations. And a big thing for me and a lot of newer coaches is figuring out who exactly we want to serve and just listening to lots of interviews of other coaches that I admire. A lot of coaches seem to come from, you know, some type of therapy or clinical work or maybe executive coaching or something. And then they start working with people that they just like working with more than other people. And they just like, wow, I love working with these creative people. Maybe I should dive into that and just get more and more specific. And I'm wondering if you've started, like, is that how you kind of made your way into working with creative people or if there was like something else that brought you into this particular 
little niche that we're in together. Yes. Um, I, so I mentioned to you earlier that I grew up sort of, you know, in dabbling in like different um, creative activities and I was always surrounded by creatives. So um, a lot of my closest friends are musicians, um, actors, uh, writers, etc. So I've always been surrounded by creatives. And then fast forward, you know, I decided to pursue psychology and I took, at, you know, classes in the psychology of creativity, um, motivational psych, cognitive, you know, psych. And I think that when the two worlds started to mesh, like my love for psychology and this, this sort of creative world that I was a part of. But even still, fast forward, I ended up marrying an artist. So he's a visual development artist and he's really my muse. I, I, I share this because okay. I think that's when it became clear that, um, you know, all of this knowledge that I had, it's applicable, it's useful, you know, seeing him have these bursts um, where, you know, there's a project deadline and he's working endlessly, you know, mm -hmm. hit, seeing him, you know, hit um, creative walls and, and experiencing blocks. Um, I, like that really is, I think, where I was able to take all of that theoretical knowledge and, and put it into practice. And then moving to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, which is where I am, is sort of like a hub for, um, at least in Canada, it's a hub for like a lot of creatives. There's nice. just so many like um, advertising agencies and studios and anyhow. So when I started my practice here, my clinical practice, it started to transform. Um, I started getting more and more creatives coming through my door. And, and, and so that's when, in terms of a professional setting, that's mm -hmm. when I think everything just sort of pieced together. So just my, my it, training yeah. and education, yeah. yeah. And just sort of aligned, just, you know, um, and, and this was a process. So it wasn't, I don't want anyone, you know, listening to this and thinking that one day I just woke up and said, I'm going to be a creative coach. That's not at all how this happened. I've been, you know, a clinical therapist for over a decade. And, you know, really I've been supporting the people I know, you know, in my personal life, um, all of that time, not realizing that, hey, there, there are a lot more people out there. There are a lot of other folks who could really benefit from talking about mental blocks and, and emotional blocks and uh, cultivating flow. So uh, that that's kind of what led me here. I feel like some of it was my doing and some of it was just me flowing in the direction that I was taken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I love how natural that sounds. I've been uh, just loving seeing my own creative career unfold and just starting to, I've begun to think of careers themselves as creative projects in a lot of ways. And so seeing how it's like, it gets nurtured in the beginning and it's just like small and then it starts to unfold and you see like, oh, this would work and this would work. And it just like develops into something really unique and personal. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that. I've um I've been really I've been going back and forth between going back to get my PhD lately. I'm like constantly on the fence. And um part of the reason I've been interested in going back and doing more research is because although there's been so many amazing people kind of trailblazing in terms of helping creatives and doing research on creatives and just outlining all of this for people. I feel like there's still so many questions. Like there's still so many things that it's like super counterintuitive or like people, it's just a mystery. And um, I'm wondering, I've, I've got a few things on my mind that I'd love to chat about, but I'm wondering if there's anything that's come up, especially with all of your years of experience where you're just curious about like how, like why we haven't figured certain things out yet <laughs> or if there's any like gaps in some of these processes where you're like, man, I wish we knew more about that. Or I wonder if anyone's going to figure out how that works or anything along those lines, like the, the cutting edge of our, like the gray mist at the end <laughs> of our knowledge field. Mm, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think, I, you know, I, I don't know what area of research um, I don't know if there's an area that hasn't already been explored, but I know, um, and maybe this isn't an area of research, but I feel like creative myths, you know, like there's so many myths about creativity that exist. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if, if there's an, enough out there to help people debunk some of the false assumptions that they have about it. And I, and I find that these myths often act as barriers for people. So like, for example, one myth is 
you're either born with creativity or you're not. Like there's this creative gene, right? You either yeah. have it or you don't. turned on. <laughs> you did right? it. Right? But but that but that's not not true. The reality is, is it's repetition, it's practice, right? It's putting in the hard work. Um yeah. and, and so I I don't know. I mean, maybe you know the answer to this to this question. Maybe they have sort of sort of you know delve into this world, but um definitely I I I think people need to um there are definitely papers about creative myths. I, I tend to think of creative myths as kind of um the the lag between academia and popular culture there's always like it seems like every field there's like a 10-year gap or something like that where like it's kind of established and known in like the ivory tower but yeah. it hasn't like seeped into popular culture yet and it'll like get there eventually i feel like that's a lot of creative myths are like people it's just like folk knowledge or just like bits of how we used to think of it like 20 30 40 years ago yeah. And the contemporary understanding is just like really far away. Like, for example, let me share with you my number one most frustrating creative myth. <laughs> like lately, sure. yeah. I'm kind of getting sick of hearing the like left brain, right brain type of thing where it's like the creative people are left brained. Like for those listening and like I, I really interested in hearing your take on this. But from my understanding of the research in both neuroscience and cognitive science and just like creativity more generally, the most creative people are the ones that have the ability to integrate different aspects of their mind from the logical kind of like system to like reasoned out way of approaching something and the emotional intuitive kind of embodied way of approaching something. The most creative people can blend those two and bounce back and forth and have more integration, even down to like the size of the corpus callosum, like connecting the two sides of the yeah. brain, like the more they talk to each other, the more creative you are. And so hearing people like box themselves in on one side or the other, it's just like kills me. I'm like, no, like the more boxy you are, the less creative you are. Have you like, has that pernicious myth dove into any of your experience at all yeah you know i i, I think we have it's a very all-or-nothing way of, of of approaching uh creativity right it, it's kind of like you said either you have to be incredibly like logical or incredibly um well the opposite of that right the the emotional um part of us but it's both we, we need both um we have to be able to access memories we need to be able to access parts of um you know of our experiences that um, come from both sides. Um, and, and I agree with you that there really isn't one way to, to come at creativity. It's not like there's this, you know, do these steps and it'll lead to this outcome. It really, yeah, the formula. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can't really, you know? Um, so, so I'm with you on that, that I, 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 I don't hear that come up as often in my sessions. Um, you know, about um, left brain or right brain. I'm trying to think about, oh, pressure. This is one that comes up a lot. So pressure fuels creativity. Mm. Yeah, right? I hear so people say a lot about thought, deadlines. They're like, yeah, I need a deadline of like tomorrow morning or I won't make it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that, that pains me. It, it, it's just it's just not true, right? I mean, yeah. time pressure might help you in terms of productivity. You might get things done, but will it enhance your creative expression? probably probably not mm -hmm. um and so and that ties into perfectionism right um feeling like things have to be done perfectly and on time and the right way um that's something i've been dealing with a lot working at this music studio and it's one of the reasons on this season of the podcast i've been trying to get professional artists on here as well because adding the professional bit that's all this extra character that like studying how creativity works seems really counterintuitive to being creative for example like to book time for production in a studio, like to use the one I'm in as an example, but this happens all over the world is it's often done hourly. So it's like, I want a song done in three hours, but I want it to be really creative and original. And it's like, well, then I need more than three hours. Right. But it's like, I want to give the client, you know, the best that I can. And so just kind of like navigating how certain things in the professional world are just like flat out not creative, but your job is to be creative is just like a really weird little intersection that I keep seeing. 
It's tough, especially when your biological clock doesn't align with when you're supposed to get things done. Yeah. And for creatives, and uh, you might know this more than I in terms of the research, but I've, I've read research that suggests that for some people, they get their best creative ideas when they're slightly tired overnight yeah. um, versus when they're super alert. And, and the reason being is because when, our, when we're too rigid, right, when there's, there's too much structure, mm-hmm. it, it really prevents the freedom of expression versus when you're just a little bit fatigued and your mind starts to wander and, and mind wandering and daydreaming, all of this is like magical for creative expression. The default mode network. Right? And, and so yeah. if you're somebody who feels, pardon me? I was saying you can get that default mode network activated, like the the neurological parts of just daydreaming. It's like a whole system of just like random <laughs> associations, just like underlying stuff going on in your brain. Totally. Ideas it, it, are just festering. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but if you're someone who, you know, really gets that creative inspiration overnight, but you've got your nine to five studio job, then it, it's really hard. To, to align that. So I, I completely agree with you. I resonate with me a lot in the sense that I, um, I know this is the case for a lot of people, but I love to not multitask, but bounce around. So I'll mm-hmm. like work on a visual art project for like 30 minutes. And then I will like prepare a different project for like 30 minutes. And then I'll like check my emails for like 10 minutes. And I just like to, you know, sometimes obviously I'll get into flow and I'll just like work on one thing for like six hours straight. But a lot of times I like to bounce around and it's gotten me in trouble in that I'll bounce around on several projects, but then I need to keep track of like, how many hours did you work on this project? And I'm like, well, I looked at it for 10 minutes before breakfast. And then I like looked at it a little bit of the bus and then like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, cause my particular workflow is, very sporadic so yeah it's definitely not conducive to tracking minute by minute what I've done on a project yeah well the creative process isn't linear right and time is linear and so that (laughs) it's it's really it's really tough to make the two sort of go hand in hand that's the pain (laughs) that I live in yeah okay I have uh, another question for you in terms of um Again, I'm really interested in, in your take coming at it from like the creativity coaching side and the therapeutic side, because um, my like psychological area of study besides just positive psychology and creativity is developmental psych. So that's technically what my two degrees in are. Applied developmental psych was my BA and then positive developmental psych was my MA. And so I've been like very interested in how people change over time. And so now that is getting really specific where... I've begun to get super interested in how I I love ego stuff and just like our sense of self and how our sense of self changes over time and what impacts that and our identity changing and that kind of thing. But I've never really read any research or even read any books on how the, the relationship between our ego development and the way our sense of self changes over time and how that impacts our relationship to being creative. Like it seems like a huge link, like, the way we relate to ourselves and the world around us changes throughout the lifespan, but people don't typically talk about how our relationship to creativity and our creative work changes throughout the lifespan. It's kind of like you're engaging in the creative process or you're not is how it's often talked to, or you're, you could engage in it like, you know, more or less, but I've started to think like the way, like a very ego secure late adulthood person <laughs> would engage in the creative process compared to like a less fully formed identity of like an adolescent engaging in the creative process. Obviously some things are the same, but that that same person like within person changes. Like, have you ever thought about how, especially because you're doing a lot of things with CBT on the therapeutic side. So I know you've definitely seen a lot of shifts in just people's relationships with themselves. Do you think it has any impact on how we, create like our own yeah Yeah, I I feel like it's got to be huge and that's definitely one place I want that's where the gray mist is for me I'm like the self and the and the creative process like what is their conversation like together I don't have any answers so when you're (laughs) describing this I'm immediately I'm you know what's coming to mind is Mm -hmm. uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah right I don't have I, I 
I don't have it in front of me. So forgive me, I don't have it all memorized. But essentially, it's a pyramid, right? And at the very bottom, you have your basic needs. And as you move up that pyramid, um, you start to get to those higher order needs, right? Mm -hmm. When you can self-actualize sort of at the top. And the assumption is that you can't really get to the top unless you've tackled those basic needs, right? And and at the top is is creative thinking, creative expression. That is sort of like higher order, right? It, mm -hmm. It's higher than needing safety, needing rest, um, right? Needing food, that sort of thing. And so to answer your question, depending on what people are struggling with in their lives, very much determines where their focus and their, where their energy is going. So if, if you're feeling, you know, particularly stressed or overwhelmed, or there's something really traumatic that you're, you're stuck on, then definitely creativity um, is at a standstill and other things, other, other areas of, of that person's life is a priority. Um, yeah. Is this kind of answering your question? Um, I think so. Have you um, heard of the psychologist Scott Barry Kaufman? He's also got an amazing podcast. <laughs> um, uh, no, tell me about him. So he is like deeply interested in Maslow. He's like written an entire book kind of reimagining Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. um, because did you know Maslow never actually made a hierarchy? I mean, he never <laughs> actually made a pyramid. Like he wrote about all the things, but he, yes, other people were like, that should be in a pyramid. And they put it in a pyramid. And so he like has poured over pretty much every word that Maslow's ever said, even like posthumously, like never published stuff. And um, he reconceptualized the model. He uses, you know, really, he changed his language up a bit, but essentially he calls it a sailboat where we've got like our basic needs as the boat that keeps us afloat. So that's things like, um, you know, shelter and food and yeah, the survival so needs, right? Like, um, and then our growth needs, he characterizes them in a model as a sailboat, mm -hmm. right? And that's self-actualization and self-esteem. And those are the things that push our boat forward. And just like you were saying, it's like, it's not necessarily like you have to go through them in a linear order. You can absolutely mm -hmm. work on both, but you you can't have the sail without the boat. So like you need the boat, like you gotta have food and like a body that pumps blood and that kind of thing, but you can maintain those and work on those and then work on your sail and kind of like maintain the entire ship at once. Yes. And, and I find that it's not to say that when somebody's in that survival mode or when their priorities are on those other things, it's not to say that there, there, there isn't room for, for creativity, but I find that in, in that area, it's like creativity to cope, creativity to heal, you know, versus you're creating to produce. Yeah. There's a difference, I find. I hadn't really thought of um, so in, in that way, but I've definitely seen a lot of people that are creating from what I guess I might call, yeah, a space of like survival. Like they're, they're making things because they, they have to. Kind of like desperation almost. Yeah, that desperate kind of like, I'll never forget one of the, the first times I was working with someone in, in a studio setting, that level of desperation to get in the top 40. I was amazed. I'd never really seen this before and like that, but it, it wasn't like the sailboat kind of like aspiration of like, I just love this and I, I really want to do my best. It was like, I have to get in the top 40 otherwise there's no reason to do this and it was just it, it felt very yeah like sad but they were still engaging in the create like they were still making music but yeah i think it was definitely coming more from a place of survival and less from a place of like thriving and that cure like it didn't feel curious and like like we were describing earlier it felt like important forced. yeah like forced and uh that just doesn't for me the thing that keeps me so connected to my personal creative expression and continuing to help people be more creative is that it's just so fun. Like it can be just so like the experience of doing it is awesome. Like I haven't found a lot of things that are as fun as like when you're really lost in the creative sauce. And so when I see people being creative in a way that's like hard and like struggling and like just friction, yeah. I think that's a big motivator for me as a coach. Cause I just can't, it's really hard for me to just be like, well, sucks to suck. And just like, good luck. I'm like, please, please let me help you. I want to help you because it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, that's something I definitely want to keep looking into. Awesome. Well, we've gotten into like some really cool territory. We did some bouncing around, but I also try to make each one of these podcasts as like 
tangible as possible. So I didn't give you a ton of time <laughs> to prepare for something like this, but I'm wondering if you have anything that either a practice that you're doing for yourself or any practices that you've been able to use that have just been like really, really effective. Cause we talked about some earlier, just like, you know, taking a walk or something like that. But are there any things where you kind of see these particular actions? The podcast is called upward acts, right? So <laughs> actions that put you into an upward spiral, right? Contribute to that kind of larger developmental trajectory that we're talking about do you have any like favorite tools or things that someone might be able to give it a shot and see if change is even possible do you know what I I really so for me personally I I'm trying to think how to like put this in words it's I call it countering your inner critic with your inner coach and so Oftentimes we struggle with this really negative self-talk. You know, we, we are telling ourselves that we're not good enough, that no one will want what we're creating, um, that we, you know, what's the point? There's no use. And so there's this sort of, you know, really uh, negative self-deprecating conversation going on in our heads. And, you know, one thing that you can do to tackle it is imagine your coach, imagine that inner coach, what would they say to that voice? Um, you know, that voice isn't who you are, you know, and I, and I think we, we hear this negative conversation and then we equate that, well, then that's who I am at my core, but no, your mind is separate from who you are. Your heart is separate from who you are. Your body is separate from who you are. And if you can separate that, it allows you to navigate them a, a lot better. Yeah. And so if you can take a step away and say, okay, wait a second, my inner inner critic right now is really going hard. What would my inner coach say, say to myself right now? And, and have that back and forth. And you'd be surprised how effective it is, right? Um, I'll never be good at this. Well, I have to start somewhere, don't I? <laughs> um, you know, uh, this will never be perfect. Well, nothing is perfect. Nothing. <laughs> oh, that's a huge one. I'm like, nothing what is, is perfect, that? What is right? perfect out there that you're comparing yourself to? I hear that one all the time. Perfect. Um, one thing I like to say to myself is maybe it's not perfect, but is it good enough? Like, that's my favorite favorite sort of uh, counter, you know, my inner creative coach, my inner coach. I love that. So, yeah. So I, I think paying attention to that conversation, if you're, you know, it, it doesn't take much. It just takes some introspection. Just, just pause and, and pay attention to what you're telling yourself. Yeah. Um, I love who you paid it as um, inner coach. I just made a really small video on Instagram just a few days ago and I was talking about this very thing. Um, and I referred to it as an inner friend though. <laughs> like it's exact same idea, but I was like, yeah, if you can, a lot of people know what it's like to have someone inside that's like this is trash like just give up but to cultivate that sense of just like a caring voice like someone who's just like genuinely invested in you enjoying your life inside as well but like I think it's pretty good like you tried really hard you like you had fun while you did just like what would a kind friend say in this situation but I love the kind of extra power of like the inner coach as well like following that inner wisdom like what is the wisest thing to say in this sense or like what is the most constructive i think there's just yeah so much room for so many other really positive voices to like get in the mix yeah i mean yeah you, you the, the bottom line is we can't shame ourselves into changing right? It, it mm -hmm. just, it will not work. And so, you know, you talked about, imagine talking to a friend. I use the example with my clients, imagine you're talking to a child and they make a mistake. Yeah. Would you shame them? Would you put them down and you idiot, you spilled the milk. Yeah. Totally. I've, that's probably been like a really effective thing that I've seen as well as like someone will be explaining their inner monologue to themselves and just the exercise of imagine saying all the exact same things to one of your friends or like your mom people mm -hmm. like aghast like oh, i would never say that to anyone and it's like why are you screaming it in your own face yeah yeah <laughs> okay so i'm kind of curious like I'm almost on the other side of the spectrum. It hasn't become a problem in any way, but my number one strength is hope and optimism mm -hmm. as far as like Clifton and the VS strengths are concerned. I'm really good at that good enough thing. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm pretty good at being like, I, I tried and I did my best and that'll do. And it's been really helpful. And I've been able to finish lots of projects 
and I've been able to like make lots of steps. So instead of like, for me, perfection, I still have a drive for like perfection in the sense of like, I want to get way better, but I've been able to blend that with this song is not perfect. And I know I could be way better, but it's good enough. So I'm going to make the next song way better. And it's enabled to let me make way more steps and just like get tons more traction. Cause I, instead of like funneling that need for improving into the same project, I've been able to just funnel it into my future projects and it's helped me grow a lot. And it's been really cool. And I'm wondering like, is there a limit? to that like just too too optimistic like a too good enough like yeah it's great but it's like not even good at, at that point like i'm just well, trying to because it's been amazing it's been a strength like hands down but is this something i need to be careful about like can i drink too much <laughs> of the kool-aid has that ever come up and so I, i'm wondering are you referring to like that toxic positivity like i think that's now the term that that that's i see right. thrown around yeah. right and 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 Sorry, were you going to continue? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, yeah, that, that toxic positivity seems to come with the level of um like unrealistic optimism or like Pollyanna optimism. Where it's like everything is perfect all the time. Like <laughs> that kind of thing. I'm definitely not there. Like I could <laughs> be very realistic. Yeah. But it's been a huge benefit for me to be able <laughs> to like really sink into that good enough space. I I love it. Like, for example, my um GPA, like from freshman year of high school, Mm-hmm. up until my first year of graduate school I got I got some A's in grad school so I was taking it really seriously but freshman year of high school through senior year of undergrad I had like a 3.2 mm-hmm. like evenly it was just like B B's and like a few A's and I was like that's pretty good like that's good enough for me. And I know I could get straight A's, but I'm like, I want to put that energy into like making music and doing other things. And so it let me have like lots of um, extracurriculars and like volunteer things and like a very well-rounded kind of academic career. But yeah, that consistency of like, that's good enough. And just like riding it has been like, yeah, probably one of my biggest strengths. I haven't thought of it in that way before, but yeah, I think it's been really helpful. So I guess I'm just trying to make sure I don't push it too far, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's the the middle sweet spot that we want to aim for, right? Because on the one extreme, it's just ignoring that that there's you know an issue, and so you know it, in the middle, you know um, that that radical acceptance of I've done my best, you know, with what I know in this moment, um, it, it can go a long way. And the other thing to acknowledge is that your grades are, are not um, equivalent to your worth. You know, they're not a reflection of who you are. They're usually a reflection of your circumstances yeah. and, and what you can prioritize and what you can fit in in a day. Um, and, and so I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with um, accepting the fact that, yeah, you've done your best with, with what you have at that given time. Um, if that becomes a crutch, yeah. if you have the possibility to do more, um, but you don't. If you're you know, staying in your comfort zone and not getting into that growth zone, yeah. right? Then, then I would say then, okay, may, maybe something can change. Right. But if you're still growing and flourishing. Yeah. I'm absolutely still growing. I think I, what I've been describing lately is I feel like I'm like drinking water from a fire hose every single day, just knowledge wise. Like there's just so much to learn. It's insane. Um, But I'm loving it. I'm getting hydrated. (laughs) And I bet. Yeah. Awesome. So this has been an amazing conversation. I really hope this isn't the last one that we have because we've got so many similar interests um there, yeah there was a lot to, there was a lot there i'm so sorry um with the distractions and um you know i really enjoyed our, our chat today it was really good no, i think it's good enough i think it'll be <laughs> <laughs> so um are there any projects that you're working on right now or how can people kind of connect with you and your work and kind of get yeah. involved in some of the things you're doing yeah, sure. So, you know, you can check me out on Instagram. My handle is helping.create because that's what I do. I'll help you create. Um, and on there, you know, I'll, I share um, psychoeducation. I share self-help tips um, um, all around 
productivity, enhancing creativity, and um, wellness. And I have my email on there. Feel free to reach out to me if you are in need of um, either clinical support or, or coaching. And I, I want to be clear that my coaching services are open to everyone, um, anyone who is looking to enhance creativity in their life. It is not just for someone who wants to become a better writer or, you know, a better songwriter. It's, it's for the mom, like we talked about. It's for, right, um, you know, the burnt out um, student who just can't come up with any more papers because their creative energy is gone, you know? Um, so anyone can reach out. Um, and, and I do run groups. I, I do run groups um, occasionally on, on creative blocks. I'm not running it at the moment, but if you're interested, you can shoot me an email and I can put you on my wait list for, for when the next one does roll around. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks one more time. I absolutely love this. This was super fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, everybody. Boom. Did it.